Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, as Americans, we're tired people. Uh, how many of us are tired this morning? Anybody tired this morning? Quite a few of us. The rest of us are lying. Uh, many of us feel tired a lot of times. Um, sometimes it's that we just got a lot on our plate. You know, maybe we have small kids. Maybe we have a stressful job. Uh, maybe we just can't get the rest that we need. Uh, others of us, maybe we have the time to rest, but maybe we have insomnia. We can't sleep. Or maybe we fall asleep and then wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep. Uh, or some of us, maybe we just wait, you know, go to sleep, we seem to sleep well, we wake up and we still feel tired. Uh, often, many of us are tired. Uh, there was a study that was done, a survey that was done a few years ago, and they found that over 60% of people said that they're tired most days of the week. Uh, 42% of them said that they start to feel tired about noon each day. Um, we're tired people. Uh, 2021, another poll was conducted that found that three out of five people reported feeling more tired than they had ever felt before. Well, it's a fact that we all live tired lives. In one sense, it's kind of hard to, to understand. Like, why are we so tired? Because as we look at kind of history and we look at kind of trends in working, we see that we've been kind of steadily declining in the amount of hours that we work. Uh, since 1870, there's a, we have a chart on the, on the screen here. All right, we don't have the chart, but it shows that the working hours has steadily gone down. And, and also, as the working hours have gone down, the amount of leisure time and vacation time has gone up. So in one sense, it's kind of hard to understand, like, why are we so tired as a people? And, you know, kind of since then as well, um, there's been more interest in leisure activities like sports. Um, in the 1800s and uh, the early 1900s, we saw kind of the development of basketball and football and kind of more people getting involved in sports. Why is that significant? Um, because if you're working out in the field all day, um, you probably don't have time to or, or energy to play basketball after you're done. So the fact that there are sports and people are involved in sports indicates that people have more time and more energy to invest in leisure activities. So why are we so tired? Um, I don't have a definitive answer, but there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, uh, I think that, you know, even though the, the number of hours worked for the average worker has gone down, uh, many times there's uh, two workers in a family, uh, two, two earner households, and so maybe the total hours for a household has kind of gone up, whereas the, the number for an individual worker has gone down. But I think there's more to it than that. I think that even though, you know, maybe we're not working, you know, paid work as much, we're always busy. Like, we're always doing something. And 
Whereas people in generations past were kind of physically tired, I think often we're more mentally and spiritually tired than physically tired. I mean, we live in an incredibly complex world. Uh, back in 1970, um, a man by the name of Alvin Toffler coined the phrase information overload. And, and it's one of the kind of the irritations of modern life. We live in a complex world. It's like you buy a toaster and you need like a manual to understand how this toaster works. And we have all these modern conveniences, washing machines, dishwashers, and you think that our lives would be so easy, but it adds this layer of complexity that generations past didn't have. And sometimes that information can just be overwhelming. Uh, commentators have coined a term, uh, a number of terms to talk about this. Uh, one term they, they coined was data asphyxiation, uh, data smog, information fatigue syndrome, cognitive overload, uh, time famine. Uh, Johan Hari, a British journalist, notes that there's a good reason why wired means both connected to the internet and high, frantic, or unable to concentrate. We've got a lot of information. Um, I remember when I was uh, making some big purchases in my life. I w at one time, I was purchasing a refrigerator. And I was like, I want to get a refrigerator that's going to last because I had a problem with my previous refrigerator. And like, I subscribed to Consumer Reports. I went out and looked at like every possible review that I could find. And what I determined in the end was there were people that said bad things about them, and there's things that people that said good things about them. And I thought, well, I'm just as well just go in there and pick one out. It doesn't really make a difference because there, some people say they're bad, some people say they're good. There's none that people are saying they're really good. And, and you know, and these things in our life that seem simple, that should be making our lives simpler, sometimes get so complex and sometimes that can be overwhelming. And so today we're going to talk about the topic of rest. And of course this isn't a health lesson. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to talk about, you know, things like eating healthy or getting enough sleep. Of course, those things are important, um, but we're not going to talk about those things today. We're going to talk about spiritual rest. And, and my hope is that as, as we learn to spiritually rest, that that would influence other areas of our lives. There's a man by the name of Charles Duhigg. He wrote a book called uh, The Power of Habit. And in that book, he talked about what he calls keystone habits. And keystone habits are habits that kind of have a trickle-down effect and affect other areas of our lives than the one that we intended. For example, uh, a keystone habit could be, you know, say you're trying to become more disciplined and organized. Uh, you maybe your keystone habit would be you resolve to just make your bed every morning when you get up. And, and, and that's the only thing that you commit to doing. But as you do so, you find that you start to have a little bit more discipline, a little bit more order in other areas of your life. Another example that he gives is um, he, he himself was trying to exercise. He resolved to exercise a certain number of times a week. And he found that as he exercised, naturally he started to become more concerned about what he was eating and eating healthier. And he had only resolved to, to exercise. He didn't resolve to change his diet. But that one habit influenced other habits in his life. And my hope is that as we learn to rest in Christ, that it would influence other areas of our life and allow us to have rest in our life. So in this passage, I think we learn a few things about rest. And the first is, seems really obvious, but it's really not as obvious as it seems. And that is we cannot find rest by working harder. We cannot find rest by working harder. It seems obvious, but it's not so 
obvious as it might appear. Um, it's very inter interesting what Jesus says, that Jesus says that the, thing, that the spiritual things are hidden from the wise and understanding and they're revealed to children. And, and you think about this, and it's, it's shocking really what he's saying here. It's, it would be like, you know, say someone is, is a professor of mathematics, uh, and he or she spends all of their, their life learning about mathematics. And, and you were to say, well, this little child who's five years old knows more about mathematics than this professor that's been studying mathematics his or her whole life. I mean, it's shocking in a sense, but that's what Jesus is saying spiritually. You know, you have the scribes and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, who have devoted their entire lives to learning about spiritual things, and they don't get it. And then you have children, you have... Uh, literal children, you have tax collectors, sinners, on the other hand, they get it and they're resting and rejoicing in the kingdom of God. The people who are working for it are not getting it. The people who accept it, receive it, understand it. It's an incredible thing that Jesus says here. And I think that there's an illusion that sometimes we have that if we work harder, then we'll find rest. That work, that, that rest is something that we need to achieve. You know, sometimes people will be like, well, I, I'm just struggling financially right now, and if I get to a certain point in my life, if I get to a certain dollar amount in my bank account, then I won't need to worry about my money anymore, that I can kind of rest, take it easy. But of course, you know, we never get there, right? I mean, nobody ever gets there. Even people who, you know, make five times more money than any of us here make worry about their money sometimes. You know, or maybe if it's after I get married, if have find a relationship, then I'm, I'm going to kind of rest. I'm going to have this peace in my heart. Or, or maybe it's after I get over this health hurdle that I'm going to have peace in my life and rest. You know, or maybe, you know, we're just trying to figure out issues in our life. And so we're, you know, kind of going from thing to thing, reading different books and finding information to try to fix something in our lives so that we can have rest. And we think that by doing things, we're going to find rest, but we don't find rest. Now, of course, all those things are good. Having good relationships is good. Reading books is good. Working hard is good. But if we're doing those things thinking that at the end of the road, there's going to be rest, or if there's going to be peace, we're going to be disillusioned. Because you can't find rest by working harder. And, and part of the problem, I think, is the way that we view rest in our culture. Traditionally throughout history, and this is, of course, not always the case, but traditionally uh, people who are poorer have tended to work harder and longer than people who are wealthy. And kind of the logic behind that was that if you achieve in life, if you attain to a certain level, then you have time to spend to do what you want to do. And so kind of the good life that was proclaimed was like if you could spend a lot of time on the golf course, if you could go on vacations, if you can engage in the activities that you want to engage in, then you've arrived in life. That rest is kind of the goal. Uh, but a few years ago, there's a man um, who wrote an article in Forbes magazine, a, a fascinating article. His name is Michael Blanding. And in that article, he claimed, made the argument that Americans no longer view rest or leisure time as kind of the goal. That, that has switched, and now people favor busyness or doing or achieving over rest. So in the article, he cites research by, by a lady by the name of Anna Keenan, and she did a number of um, different psychological studies on this. 
And in the first one, she recreated what were called humble brags. And a humble brag is basically you're complaining about something, but that complaint is kind of a brag that's kind of veiled as a complaint. Um, So they set up this situation, and they created this fake Facebook profile uh, of a lady named Sally Fisher. And then they broke people up into two different groups. And some of the groups were, uh, the one group was shown um, kind of a busy Sally. Um, And she said something like, well, she posted, I've been working nonstop all week. I don't have time to do anything. And so that was the one group. And then the other group was given kind of a leisurely Sally. And the post that they saw from from Leisurely Sally was stuff like, well, I've been on vacation all week, took a long time for lunch today, took a walk around the neighborhood, things to show that she had time on her hands. And and then they asked them to rate these, you know, Busy Sally versus Leisurely Sally. And what they discovered was they thought that the Busy Sally had had a greater socioeconomic wealth, higher social status than Leisurely Sally. There's another experiment, similar one, that 100 participants were asked to read a fictional letter from a friend named Daniel. In one version, uh, for some people, he complained about being crazy busy, never having time to watch TV. In another, he talked about being relaxed and often watching ESPN. The results were even starker than the previous experiment. On a scale of 1 to 7, participants ranked busy Daniel more than twice as high on an aggregate measure of wealth and social status as they ranked leisurely Daniel, 5.44 to 2.55. And that, Keenan concludes, when we talk about traditional conspicuous consumption, it's about consuming scarce and expensive things like jewelry or money or cars, but the new conspicuous consumption is about saying, I am the scarce resource, and therefore I am valuable. So we don't value rest, leisure, like we used to. Now, if you're important, you're busy. And so sometimes I think that we complain about being tired and busy and frantic, but deep down, that's what we really want. Because busyness can be a way of overcoming our insecurities about who we are. Because if we're always doing something, we're valuable, we matter, we're needed. Let's say you have a few moments at home or maybe you're with somebody and, you know, they have to go to the bathroom. Maybe you're at a restaurant, they have to go to the bathroom. Maybe you're at your doctor's office. What do you do in those moments? If you have a smartphone, you bring out your phone. And I don't know what you do on it. You know, maybe you play games. Maybe you check your email. You know, maybe you look at a picture. Maybe you go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case may be. We bring out our phones. And, and part of it is we want to be doing something all the time. And part of it's like, oh, this is an awkward moment. I'm not doing anything. I've got to be doing something. Let's find something to do. Makes us feel important. Makes us feel worthwhile. And we're kind of uncomfortable with silence. We're uncomfortable with not doing. Think about it. And um, not all of us have smartphones. But if we have a smartphone, there's a good chance we're probably addicted to it. Good chance. Of course, not all of us are, but there's a good chance if we have a smartphone, we're probably uh, addicted to it. And you think about it, and we have those moments in our life where um, maybe we just have a few minutes, and, you know, we're going from place to place, thing to thing. We have a few minutes, and sometimes those are the moments when God can speak to us. Or maybe we could form a relationship with someone else, but oftentimes we're like, I'm, I'm too busy. We find something 
to do. Uh, I'd encourage you to do something. Try, try an experiment this week if you have a smartphone. Uh, I've been trying it this, this past week. It's very difficult. I haven't been perfect on it for sure. But if you go on you know, Google or whatever search engine you use, type in how to make your smartphone dumb. There's articles for Android. There's articles for iPhone. And uh, basically, you can make your, your phone like a flip phone. And, you know, some of the things they ask you to do, like, to go through and get rid of, the one, the one article I read just said, like, get rid of all your apps, and I didn't go that extreme. Um, but go through, go through your apps and, you know, pick out the ones that you really, really need. Um, there's ways to, that you can disable your internet access so that you can uh, not, you know, go on your browser or whatnot. Um, the one thing they suggested was to make your uh, background, uh, or, or to make your phone grayscale, so it's just black and white. Um, that was a little extreme for me. I could, couldn't really read it after that. Um, but, you know, make it so that it's not enticing to use. You know, maybe just try that for a few days or a week. And I found as I've been doing that, there's been so many times when I'm just like, just in a dull moment, I just want to pick it up. I'm like, oh, my browser's gone. <laughs> you know, and you think about it, and it's, it's just like we want to be doing something all the time. We were frantic. We fill those moments when God could speak to us with busyness. And when we do that, we can't find rest. We can't find rest by working hard or by doing all the time. Psalm 127, 1-2 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Lest the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. God gives rest to those who follow him. We, it's not something that we earn. We can't find rest by working harder. Second thing we see in this passage is that we can only find rest with a person. We can only find rest with a person. The words that Jesus says in verses 28 to 29 are really similar to the words that a wise man named uh, Joshua ben Sirah used as an invitation to partake of wisdom. Uh, in the book of Sirah, 24, 19, and 21, and just as an aside, it's an apocryphal book, something that we don't believe was a part of Scripture, but something um, that Jesus apparently was familiar with the teachings of this individual. And Joshua ben Sirah said, Come to me, you who earnestly desire me, and eat and drink of wisdom. So he's talking about wisdom personified. And when Jesus says it in this passage, he's not talking, he's talking about wisdom, but he's talking about himself. He says, Come to me. Come to me and find rest. He's wisdom personified. He's the divine wisdom. Further, when the rabbis would talk about taking upon oneself a yoke, they were talking about the yoke of God's law. In this passage, Jesus talks about taking upon his yoke. It's not the, the yoke of the law. It's his yoke. It's a person. It's a relationship. When Jesus calls people, he doesn't call them, hey, come follow the law. He doesn't call people, oh, just come change your ways. Of course he does that. It's part of what, what he calls people to do. But the fundamental call is follow me. Enter into a relationship with me, and that relationship's going to change everything. And we can't find rest unless we find rest with a person. He doesn't call his people to a road map. He doesn't call his people to a path. He calls his people to himself. His call is to a relationship. When I was uh, growing up, I uh, was super socially awkward, still am, but I, you know, didn't talk hardly at all. Almost like people wondered, 
does he talk at all? Can he speak? And I remember when I was in early college, um, and that's surprising to a lot of people since I speak every week in front of people. Uh, that's the grace of God. But you think about it, and like I was in co- early college, and um, I decided I was going to ask this girl out on a date. And so I worked up the courage to ask this girl out for, on a date. And then I thought to myself, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm going to have to talk to her. I'm like, what am I going to talk about for all this time? And so this is what I did. I, put a, I had a note card with, like, talking points that I was going to talk to her about. And I brought the note card, and I set it on my lap, and I'm looking at, like, where are you from? Like, where did you go to school? What do you like to do? I'm like, really? And then, you know, after that, that day, day didn't go so well, in case you, in case you didn't realize. It uh, didn't go so well, but I realized I had to co- become a little bit more comfortable around people. And, of course, I you know, gained a little bit better ability to talk to people, but I was always, like, uncomfortable around people at parties and things like that. So I had kind of an academic mindset, and so I'm like, I'm going to read some books to learn how to get better around people. So I wrote, wrote, read some books like this, like The Art of Small Talk, uh, 20 uh, different ways to talk, uh, things to talk to people about. Um, I read books like this, How to Talk to Anyone, 92 Little Tricks for Big Success in Relationships. Do you know how much they helped me? They did not help me at all. They did not help me one bit. I still was just as uncomfortable in social situations. I just had some weird questions that I could ask people now. So it didn't help at all, but there was one thing that did help. So I met my wife, and uh, somehow I started talking to her. Somehow I gained the ability to talk, and uh, I fell in love with her. She fell in love with me. And uh, as we started dating, I, I, we started to go to kind of social events together. And my wife is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm like super shy, and she's super outgoing. And so I would go to social events, and I found that like I didn't feel as uncomfortable anymore. Like I could go and I could just like not talk, and it was okay because I was with her. And, and I could join into the conversation. I didn't feel this pressure that I had felt before. And to this day, like, I don't like to go to parties without her, because she's super outgoing, and I'm not so outgoing. We only find rest with a person, and, you know, the thing is, sometimes, you know, we're going through our life, and it doesn't matter what we're going through. If we're not going through it with Christ, then we're not going to have peace. And, And kind of the converse of that is that it doesn't matter what we're going through doesn't matter how deep the valley is. It doesn't matter how big that mountain is we're trying to climb. If we go with Christ, we can have peace. It's not about a plan. It's not about a theory. It's about a person. And the only way we can find rest is with the person of Christ. Now, there's some of us here that maybe we say to ourselves, well, I have a really busy life. Um, maybe I have small kids, or maybe um, I'm caring for aging parents, Maybe I've got this really stressful job, and you're like, well, I, I, I just can't find rest right now. I just don't have the time. You know, and maybe that's true. Maybe you're in a season of your life where physically you're just going to be tired. I mean, there's responsibilities and seasons in our life where it's just tiring, and, and, and we can't get away from that fully. But even in those moments, we can have peace. You know, maybe it's just spending a few minutes before the kids get up in the morning and just reading a few verses of the Bible.
Maybe it's while we're driving our kids to soccer practice. Maybe just turning off the radio for a moment, disabling our phone, and just talking to God. Maybe it's when we're waiting in the doctor's office instead of turning on our phone, playing a game, we spend time inviting Christ into our lives, inviting him into the ordinary moments of our life. We can't have peace unless we're resting with Christ. And even if we're living the most busy lives imaginable, we can invite him into our lives. Invite him into those ordinary moments so we can still have peace. We can only find rest with a person. Final thing we see in this passage is that with Christ, we engage in restful productivity. Restful productivity. It's interesting, the invitation that Jesus offers uh, to people, he says, Come to me, all who labor uh, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then in the next verse, he says, take my yoke upon you. So there's, there are two opposing things, rest and a yoke. A yoke is for work. And he's saying, come to me, find rest, and I'm going to put a yoke on you. It, it seems like it doesn't make sense. But you think about it, and in, you know, when we think about a yoke, oftentimes we think about an animal yoke. Um, that's you know, something you put on an animal so they can carry a cart. And oftentimes they were kind of a, a, a tandem yoke so that there would be two animals that could c- carry a cart or what, whatnot. Oftentimes that's the image that we think of when we think about a yoke. But there was also another type of yoke, which, uh, which was a human yoke. A human yoke would go over the shoulders. And what was the purpose of a human yoke? It would enable you to do more than you could do by yourself. So it's like I have this cart in my house. Um, it can carry like 600 pounds. And so if I have like bricks or you know, stones or anything heavy, I'll take them and put them in that cart, and then I'll wheel the cart around. It makes it a lot easier than me carrying these rocks around the yard. So a yoke is meant to make it easier for the one who's carrying the yoke, and that they could accomplish more with the yoke than they could accomplish by themselves. And I think that's the point here, that when, Je- when people come to Jesus to follow after him, not only will they receive rest for their souls, it means that they could accomplish more than they could ever accomplish before. And, and it's kind of crazy that you'd find rest but accomplish more. But we can accomplish so much more in the spirit of God that we could ever accomplish in our own strength, in our own, with our own efforts. There's a story about a, a man who once challenged another man to a woodcutting contest. And the, the challenger gladly accept, accepted it, and he just went crazy chopping wood. They were, you know, it was from morning till night, and he just, he did not stop except for a really brief moment to have a, little, a, a brief uh, bit of lunch. He just kept cutting wood, cutting wood, cutting wood. The other man took a kind of leisurely pace, took a long lunch, took a number of breaks, and then at the end of the day, they, they, it was discovered that this man who had taken the breaks had chopped significantly more wood than this challenger who had just been chopping all day, all day, all day. So the challenger was not so happy. He says, I don't get it. He said, every time I checked, you were taking a rest, and yet you chopped more wood than I did. The winning woodsman said, but you didn't notice that I was sharpening my axe when I sat down to rest. When we follow after Christ, God will do incredible things to us. He can do more than we could ask or imagine. And it's just amazing that we can find rest in him 
but also accomplish incredible things. It's only through the power of God. Uh, Martin Luther understood this well, um, lived a really busy life, and um, he once said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. So much to do that I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. He understood restful productivity. The, the, the contrast is not between laziness, doing nothing, um, and working hard. The contrast is between frantically uh, trying to accomplish things and ending up nowhere and joyfully resting in God's strength and working in his, with his energy and accomplishing incredible things. Luther understood what it was like to, follow, to, to live a productive but restful, restful life. Watchman Nee once said this, Carnal Christians crave works, yet amid many labors, they are unable to main, com, maintain calm in their spirit. They feel, cannot fulfill God's orders quietly, as can the spiritual believers. Their hearts are governed by outward matters. Being distracted with much serving is the characteristic of the work of any soulish believer. They have not yet entered the rest of God. In conclusion, God created us with a need for rest. Of course, he could have created us, you know, to energize your bunnies, that we wouldn't need to rest, that we wouldn't need to eat, but he created us with needs so that we could trust in him. It's interesting, as we look at the creation story back in Genesis, what is humanity's first day? What does humanity's first day look like? It's a day of rest. Mankind was created on the sixth day. The seventh day was the Sabbath, so we rested. That's the first day of mankind's existence, to a day to rest in God. It's interesting, throughout the world, um, about half of the world's population consider Monday to be the first day of the week, and about half the world's population consider Sunday to be the first day of the week. And really, when you think about it, both are true. In God's mind, you know, the first creation was Monday was the first day of the week. But for mankind, the Sabbath is the first day of the week, a day to rest, to find our delight in God. Before we work, we need to rest. Before we work, we need to hear the words of God, the words in creation that God said, it is good and it is finished. For those of us who are believers, before we do anything for God, for God we need to hear the words from the cross, it is finished. There's no striving. That we accept the free gift of salvation and because of what he's done for us on the cross and the Holy Spirit that he gives to live inside of us, then we can go forward and accomplish things for him. Before we can do anything, we need to rest in him. Our world began with the declaration that God had finished the work of the creation. He didn't need us, but he created us and invites us to work with him. Many of us today come here weary, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual. Some of us are coming to this place and we're weary from the expectations that people have placed upon us. To us, Jesus says, come, come to me and find rest. Some of us come to this place with the weight of guilt of things that we've done or things that have been done to us. Jesus cries out to us, come to me and find rest. Some of us come to this place with a burden of inadequacy. We feel like we don't measure up. We feel like we're not accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish. We feel this deep-rooted insecurity into those of us who feel that Jesus says, come to me and find rest. 
Some of us are carrying around a weight of anxiety. We worry about our future. We worry about our kids. We worry about the future of our world and country. And Jesus says, come to me and find rest. I'll take that away. It's a burden you were never meant to carry. Some of us feel the burden of busyness. We feel like we have to be doing, doing, doing. And that we don't even have the right to rest. That if we're resting, if we're not doing something, then it's like we don't matter. And to those of us with that, he calls out to us, come, find rest. Jesus has paid it all for us. Jesus is taking us where he wants to take us. But the question is, are we going to hold on to these weights? Are these weights going to carry us and, and take us down? There's a story about a man who was once driving a cart, and as he was driving the cart down the road, he saw this old man who was carrying this heavy burden on his shoulders. He took pity on the old man and said, hey, do you need a ride? The old man said, sure, I, I, that would be awesome. So he jumps up into the cart, and they start driving down the road, and uh, the driver hears these noises, like this, kind of this grunting sound. He's like, what's, what's happening back there? Then he turns around and looks on the cart. The man is in the cart, but he's still holding the things that he was carrying. Still holding them. He wasn't putting them down. He didn't have to carry them anymore, but he was still holding on to them. And I think as believers, sometimes that's the, that's the case. We don't have to hold those weights anymore. We don't have to hold the weight of insecurity, anxiety, guilt of things that we've already repented of. Weight of busyness. We can unload those things at the foot of the cross. But how often do we hold on to them? Even though Christ is carrying us, we feel like the weight's on our shoulders. Let's lay those burdens down at the foot of the cross today. In closing, St. Augustine once said this, Thou hast created us for thyself, and our heart is not quiet until it finds its rest in thee. May we find our rest in Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us this incredible invitation, an invitation to all who would come to find rest in you. Lord, all of us are carrying something around today, some burden, something that's on our mind, some weariness that's bringing us down. Lord, you know what those burdens are. But Lord, today I just pray that we would lay those burdens down at your feet, that we would turn our eyes to you, that we would realize that the only way we can find rest is with you. We can't find it by busyness or by working harder. We can't find it by doing. We can only find it in a relationship with you. And we trust that as we rest in you, you can still accomplish more than we could ever accomplish by ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that at the cross, you declared once and for all, it is finished. The work is done. We don't have to achieve our salvation. We don't have to prove ourselves. That for those of us who put our faith and trust in you, we're safe in your arms. That we can rest and find your peace and live a life that honors you. In Christ's name I pray.